welcome to the new episode of Supply Cast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today is the new episode with Andrew Daly from Hempsons, giving his Hempsons legal Andrew Daly update. <laughs> Andrew, I think, I, think, I think people have turned off. If, if that's what you're going to call it, Bruce. Uh, I'm Andrew good, thank Daly, you. Hempsons legal update. <laughs> um, the, I tell you what, jam-packed doesn't do justice to what this episode is going to be because we've got legislation update. There's some new PPNs to, to touch on uh, carbon reduction plans and some cases, some cases that you're going to pick out a couple of things that people need to be aware of going forward. Exactly what this whole podcast series is about. Yeah. And I, I think it was, we always knew that 2023 was going to be a busy year for procurement. Mm. Um, we're, we're expecting the bill on the provider selection regime, et cetera, which we'll come on to in a minute. But um, there's been the new PPNs, there's been the new case law. Uh, so there's there's a lot to uh, keep up to date with. So hopefully this will uh, put things in one place for, for people. So without further ado, I can't believe I've managed to say without further ado in a podcast. <laughs> it's a phase I've always wanted to introduce this podcast. Uh, so we start with the legislation uh, update first legislation update yeah um so I'm, I'm sure people have seen the update that has come out from cabinet office uh but the procurement bill is still making its way through the uh parliamentary process um it's still in the commons and it's at report stage we're waiting for the third reading of that to be announced so we are getting closer to the final um version of the the legislation uh, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And we're expecting Royal Assent, the, the the Cabinet Office are still expecting that to be spring 23. So not too far away. See whether or not that is actually right or not. Uh, and then in force, not before spring 24. So um, right. we are still a year away, realistically, from this uh, the new legislation coming into force. Um, and... Um, <sighs> That there's going to be more when we know exactly what the what the detail is. We might be nearer on the provider selection regime, but again, we're not sure about that. The NHS England website currently says it's not expected to be in use before July 23. Um, mm-hmm. So we're a few months away from that as well, uh, so that more will follow when we know about it. But in the meantime, and I've said this numerous times uh, before, you apply the law as it is now. Um, until we and until we know what the the new law will be and when it actually comes into force. That's great. Uh, we might as well move on to the new PPNs. We all we all love a new PPN, don't we? You know the. Right, I'm, 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 like... I'm old enough. I'm old enough, Bruce, to remember when you hardly got any PPNs, <laughs> uh, and now we, um, we, we we get them quite often. The excitement peaks when you see it come out. There's a new PPN. What's the PPN got to say for itself? Um, we've had three new PPNs recently. We have. We have. Which is um, glorious. A trinity so- of PPNs, if you will. <laughs> well, where should we start with the PPNs? Well, should we start with the most recent one first? Yes. Um, so PPN 0323. Um, we have a new selection questionnaire. Um, so you all know that 
there is the standard um, selection questionnaire that's published centrally that you should be using and you should be stating whether or not you're deviating from it, etc. And um, that has recently uh, been uh, updated and a new one will be required for processes on or after the 1st of April uh, this year. So really not very far away and you can use it beforehand if you want to. Um, there, a uh, quick plug, we have an article on it on our um, website if you want to have a look at it, but ultimately it's not a complete rewrite of it, it is tweaking a few sections. So um, there's introduction on data protection questions, there's um, an introduction of additional requirements on modern slavery, which will come on to another PPN, carbon emissions, um, the template's slightly different, <laughs> It's it's it, it's going to involve if you are about to start a process and you have worked up the SQ on the previous template, but it's not going to go live until the 1st of April. It will be a bit of a pain uh, changing it. Um, but going forward, it should just be business as usual with a slightly uh, different um, template. OK, and you just mentioned it there. We've got, we got PPN modern slavery. The, the modern slavery PPN, so we are really working backwards, mm. 0223, yeah. um, sets out how UK government departments must take, must take action to ensure modern slavery risks are identified and managed in government supply chains. Um, so it applies to a number of contracting authorities, <laughs> including NHS bodies, and you need to take action on this PPN um, um, to uh, for existing contracts and to new procurement activity from the 1st of April mm -hmm. and deal with um, issues around modern slavery which are um, set out in the PPN. Um, it's it's a relatively short PPN so just have a look at that but it's a, it's building on a theme that has been developing in terms of modern slavery in the supply chain. And finally transparency was the uh, third of our three PPNs. Yeah, so th this, this, this is 0123, um, and it's an update and indeed replaces PPN 0921. I know you'll be sad about that, Bruce, but 0921 uh, but, is no but, more. But PPN 0921 was one of my favourites. So, <laughs> well, you're, you're going to have to learn to live, love this one as well. So <laughs> 0123 is now your new best friend. <laughs> um, and um, that um, it deals with the transparency requirements on Contracts Finder uh, and publishing on Contracts Finder for mm -hmm. uh, various contracts. And it deals with the issue that has caused a number of people um, questions um, as to how VAT is dealt with on mm -hmm. um, procurements. Uh, so now if you're a central government authority, it's um, the threshold's £12,000 net of VAT. Uh, and if you're a trust or a foundation trust, it's £30,000 net of VAT. So that's gone up. Uh, FTs are now dealt with as trusts. So again, uh, as uh, an article that we've done, or just look at the, uh, the PPN on that, uh, just to make sure that you are complying with your transparency requirements <coughs> and, uh, excuse me, and working through all of the, um, working through all of the requirements that you need to do in, in that PPN. And it, it, you mentioned it there, but it is worth reiterating that um, Hempson's do provide a comment to go with these PPNs when, when they're released, just as, as usual, to do the usual job of cutting through what the 
key elements are and things to, to look out for, etc. Um, and you can find them easily, can't you, on the on the Hempsins website? And we do and we do cover them on the HCSA website as well. Yeah, and if you follow me on social media, I'll be putting yep. them there. Um, okay, so we go to the carbon reduction plans. This is obviously a, a big deal for in procurement. Uh, it's another thing that's a big deal in this year. Um, what's the latest in the carbon reduction plans? Uh, so that again is something from the uh, from April twenty three. So um, things are changing um, mm. uh, at that time. So um, NHS organisations um, who are um, procuring um, contracts over five million pounds uh, a year of a particular uh, provider, excluding VAT. Uh, will need um, the supplier to be publishing a carbon reduction plan for the emissions from the um, f from that contract. So um, again, it's all set out um, in um, a PPN um, from 2021. Is now actually yeah. coming into effect. So again, uh, there's been a lot said about it uh, recently, but it's just a reminder, um, if you're looking at your bigger contracts to in, in include your carbon reduction plans in those. Yep, great. So I think we can now move on to a few cases that have that have come up. Um, I know whether it's whether it's dealing with you directly, dealing with Hamptons directly, or the presentations that you give at our conferences, which again, you'll be giving, conference, you'll be giving a presentation again, obviously at our summer, summer conference. Um, and on the 15th of June, and obviously at our winter conference as well later in the year, you'll be doing presentations. And one of the things that people always like to hear about are the latest cases that are going to have an effect on how they should be doing business and procuring. Uh, so this is always an important part. What are the key cases that have come up recently? Um, so there's, there's been, I think, uh, three that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and the first one you've already, uh, if you look on the HSA website or look at the articles that we've published, we'll have seen the details of, uh, and it's something we were obviously uh, closely involved in because we acted for NHS England in the mm -hmm. um, successful defence of a uh, challenge by In-Health Intelligence Limited. Um, now, I'm not proposing to go over everything we said in our um, article mm -hmm. and um, the, the case uh, summary here. Um, but suffice to say, it was a, um, a clear uh, lesson to bidders to make sure that you don't leave submitting tenders to the last minute. Mm. Um, we, 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 we've always known um, that if you, if you set a deadline um, and you don't meet that deadline, then as a bidder, you have potentially got a problem. Um, here, um, there are a number of facts and, and complicated issues uh, around the fact that it was a four-lotted process and the um, claimant alleged that they got their uh, three lots all ready to go. It's just a problem on the last lot and there were, there were arguments about the um, how that should have been dealt with and whether or not discretion should have been exercised, etc. But ultimately, the court came down to, to say that the deadline was the deadline and it's just England didn't need to... Um, do anything differently and ultimately it was the supplier's fault for leaving it to the last minute mm. um it, it's where it's just something to think about looking at your standard documents about what you say about things that are late um and reminding um bidders to make sure they bid in advance but ultimately this came down to um bidder error 
uh, rather than um, process error. So we were able to uh, successfully defend that challenge, which obviously was a, a good result and a, a good result for contracting authorities um, generally. Um, were you surprised? I, I read that case and I thought, were you surprised that that they challenged it so you know forcefully as they did to you know take it to court? I, I, th I think I think the thing you've got to remember, Bruce, is that, and, th and this is something we we talk about a lot with clients when they're um, having uh, potential challenges against their processes. Mm. This contract was north of a hundred million pounds. It right, was for yeah. a significant period of time for 20% mm. of a particular market that this supplier was um, a supplier in. Right. So when you look at it on pure value terms, then when you're looking at a contract of that size, it is um, sometimes worth a challenger yeah. bringing a challenge to see what happens mm. and whether or not the contracting yeah. authority just gives in. Um, so what... what you, you, you can never predict what a third party will do, particularly yeah. an aggrieved third party. Um, and um, whether or not this will be, be a lesson uh, as to how far you take these challenges on, you, you don't know. But yeah. it, it is when you're dealing with large value contracts, mm. the risk is always greater because a supplier has more to lose if they're not successful. Absolutely. I mean, the rewards were huge on that one, wasn't weren't they? Um, okay, what case do we have next? So um, the next one is one from the, um, the start of the year. Um, uh, well, the end of last year, Bromcom Computers and United Learning Trust. Um, this was a, um, a process um, which was in relation to education services, but a number of the issues are generally important for procurement professionals. And um, there, there, were, there were sort of four main issues coming out of it. And the first was around averaging. And um, for those that have heard me talk before, I'm not a big fan of averaging as a way of evaluating um, as a way of evaluating tenders. Um, more used to the individual evaluation and then moderation. Um, here, the um, basically the defendant opted not to award scores from zero to five and instead used averaging, mm -hmm. um, which the problem was their ITT hadn't said that they were going to use averaging. So when you got to the scores, you got scores, of exam for example, 4.2 or 4.4 or instead of 4 or 5, um, which meant that it was very hard to give reasons as to why a particular score had been given because it didn't meet the marking methodology. So the court found that using an averaging method without any proper moderation or reasons was contrary to procurement law. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not outlawing averaging, but you'd have to be very clear what you're doing, how it's going to work. And I, I think it just strengthens my view that it's not the best way of, um, of doing the assessment. Um, but then were different things that the, the um, defendant did. They... Um, allowed the bidder to submit its final tender by way of Dropbox. Um, I don't think anyone in the NHS would do that um, mm. because you want to be able to have a clear uh, time and date as to when something was submitted, going back to the, the in-health um, case. There also appeared to be some incumbent advantage because uh, they're offering discounts because if they had other um, 
other services with the uh, defendant. And then to top it all off, the court found that the evaluators had made uh, 10 manifest erroneous score, manifestly erroneous scores, um, which is not really a good place uh, to be. Uh, so they sounds were, bad. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds, sounds bad. good, doesn't it? <laughs> no. um, so they they found uh, that there have been these breaches of uh, procurement law. Um, there is a quantum. Um, hearing that's going to take place. So this was a split trial between liability and then quantum. Uh, so we'll see what the uh, level of damages are um, on uh, that when we um, when the trial takes place later in the year. Uh, and we'll wait and see what uh, the, the case is published. Um, and then the um, the other case I wanted to, to cover was um, a case around um, the lifting of an automatic suspension. Right. And this is a uh, case box limited against the Secretary of State uh, for Justice. Um, it is um, a couple of weeks old, is this case. And um, effectively, the claim was issued by the unsuccessful bidder, which automatically prevented the uh, winning, uh, the contracting authority from awarding the contract to the winning bidder. The long and short of the, the outcome of this was that the court decided that damages would be an adequate remedy, which meant that the suspension was lifted, allowing the contracting authority to sign the contract with the winning bidder and then face a damages claim. The, the reason this is uh, interesting is on a, a couple of levels. So for those of you that are at Winter Conference, you'd have heard me talking about the Brace Yourself versus NHS England uh, challenge where despite the fact that Brace Yourself um, could show that uh, they should have won the contract, um, but for the breach, the court held that that was not a sufficiently serious breach of uh, the procurement regs uh, to award damages. And this comes uh, from a, a stream of uh, cases over the past few years. Um, Brace Yourself is now being appealed, but um, it was a case where that um, argument was used, um, but ultimately the court found that damages would be a, um, an adequate remedy. And then there is also um, a question on when the limitation period starts for the date of knowledge of a breach of procurement law. The um, this hasn't yet been decided because this was just an application to lift rather than a uh, substantive hearing. Um, but the, the judge has given an indication that it is the day you receive the letter you um, or the notification that you start time running rather than the day after. We'll have to wait and see what the outcome of that um, final judgment is if we get that far. Um, but again, it's just a, um, a lesson in timing and um, remembering that claimants are under a very tight time scale uh, in order to uh, bring a procurement challenge 30 days from the day they first knew or ought to have known of the um, alleged breach and therefore you need to um, be conscious if for example you're extending your standstill period and delaying uh, giving information and pushing people towards that date uh, claimants will get nervous and will start to um, jump up and down a bit more and ask for limitation amnesties and things like that. So um, as, as I've always said, if you put yourself in the bidder's shoes, you need to think how they would react to a situation and what they would expect and how much time they need to look at it. So really, it's just it's a, it's another 
uh, a couple of cases that just show that these things do happen. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me, things do do get challenged, um, and then there are technical points around whether or not the challenge was brought in time or whether or not damage is an adequate remedy, etc. But there are still the issues around manifest errors in scoring and um, looking at um, whether or not the process has been followed. So the full spectrum mm. of issues covered in um, three cases. Just before uh, that, that's 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 a really good praise of everything happening there. Uh, just before we we go, because we come to the end of our, our agenda for this episode, um, just out of, of interest, I was wondering when I hear you talking about this stuff. It, how do you have any idea of, of a figure on how many of these <laughs> challenges sort of happen per year? I suppose, Bruce, it depends on what you mean by challenge. So specifically around NHS procurement um, challenges. Sorry, but yeah, so put put, put my question a bit differently, Bruce. The ones going to court or the ones that are challenged that are then dealt with before they get anywhere near Before they get caught. No, I was thinking the ones, I was thinking, you know, what is there a sort of number you can put on how many of these challenges go to court? So I kind of like taking, you know, taking that seriously to go to court, you know? Yeah, so, well, I, I think it's quite a difficult question to answer, Bruce, to be to be perfectly mm. honest, because it is fair to say that there are not that many cases mm. that go all the way to trial yeah. and a judgment being given. Yeah. Now, um, there's obviously, <clears throat> we've had the in-health one against NHS organisations, um, you probably don't need more than two hands to count those um, over the last couple of years, to be honest, against NHS mm. organisations. Mm. There are a number of processes where claims will be issued, but then the ca- case will be settled or discontinued. Sure. And then there is an even greater number of cases where letters are received from uh, unsuccessful bidders and their lawyers Mm-hmm. where um, the processes are then either rewound, abandoned, or something is done differently. Right. Um, and there are pro- there are challenges that come about for decisions at SQ stage, for example, mm-hmm. which are very unlikely to get to a full trial, but will have happened and may have involved a claim being issued. So there's there's a lot of claims um, there's a lot of claims being issued um, per year. Mm-hmm. Um, how how many of them go to trial is a um, is a different issue. Yeah, and um, you've then got the um, the number of cases where something has had to be done differently, a process rewound, etc. That mm-hmm. is um, that is significant. Um, but I, that that the, the, there are a um, a number that that go to uh, court. So we're involved in a claim that was issued um, issued about ten days ago now, mm-hmm. and that is in the seventies of the claims that have been issued in the Technology and Construction Court in twenty twenty three. Right. Now, of course, you will not end up with 70 decided judgments. No, no, no. That because yeah. things will settle or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so it, it, is, it is a real serious issue for contracting authorities and also for bidders. Um, mm-hmm. 
and challenges do happen and um they are well they're what we're here for to try and help yeah so if, if 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 people do have issues we we can a try and avoid them happening and then b try and deal yeah. with them if they have excellent i think we're done for this uh, episode thank you for answering that question it was something that's that um i've always had in my mind with these cases come up you know how often i mean it's a it is the original minefield isn't it as opposed to you're dealing with this and as you say the bigger the contracts the more you know the more sort of difficult it, it probably is to negotiate that because as you say the rewards are so great as in with the uh in health case yeah Andrew, thank you for finding the time to do this latest episode of our little catch-up. We will be back quick as a flash with another one, with another update with you. Um, so, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Andrew. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Bruce. And I hope that you can join me in the next episode of Supplycast. Bye. <laughs>